it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls on down the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. And welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm one of your hosts, Justin. And I'm the other one, James. And today we are on Chapter 5, The Shadow in Shinar. Um, and it's a bit of a strange one since there's technically four point of views, I guess. Four POVs. And um, I think this is the first time this has happened in the series so far. With having this many point of views in one chapter. One's really, yeah. really short. Only a couple like paragraphs and sentences long. Um, one's kind of medium and then I kind of have a longer one and a very long one. <laughs> so uh, I know I'm kind of I'm kind of struggling just to think of it like uh, a chapter where they've actually split the POVs before. I think they have done it once or twice in the first book, but it hasn't been very often. And I think they've done it once or twice in the earlier chapters before this one. It's not very common yet because they were always in groups and they would just swap chapters with people because of where they were located. This is the first yeah. time I think that it's been like a massive spread out. Yeah. Um, you, you don't want to do that too early in a story, otherwise it gets way too confusing. Yeah. I think you did a good job of pacing it into the book naturally. Yeah. <laughs> you you do need like a build up to yeah. that sort of stuff. Like we had our jump arounds, but they made sense. And now we're doing yeah. a split, which may or may not make sense, depending on the person reading. So we'll go ahead and start with Chapter 5, The Shadow and Shinar. Um, we're going to go ahead and open up with a historical base um, that's going to kind of flow right into a <laughs> a reading of my part. So um, Just right into a situation. Basically. So uh, I'll go ahead and start this. Stilled. The words seemed to quiver in the air, almost visible. When it was done to a man who could channel the power, who must be stopped before madness drove him to the destruction of all around him, it was called gently. But for I said I, it was stilling. Stilled. No longer able to channel the flow of one power. Able to sense Sidar, the female half of the true source, but no longer having the ability to touch it. <laughs> Remembering what was gone forever. So seldom had it been done that every novice was required to learn the name of each Aes Sedai since the breaking of the world who had been stilled. And her crime. But none could think of it without a shudder. Women bore being stilled no better than men did being gentled. So this thing, stilling or gentling depending on which uh, I, I, I guess this is I guess this is a gender term then yes I mean it's associated with a gender so if you're a man it's gentling if you're a woman it's stilling um, it's I mean in, in ter <laughs> it's I'm, a I'm very sorry. it's a very weird thing because they're technically two different things that are similar in nature because yeah. of the nature of the one power in women and men. So See, I, I, I was just going to say, it's, it's just like the French, but yeah. <laughs> women, like, you know, the, like the whole la and le sort of thing, like the whole sort of let, uh, where you preempt every word with it genders it. 
I'm not really familiar with French to know. (laughs) Never mind then. We'll assume that somebody listening probably knows what you're talking about, and then we'll go with that. Uh, uh, Jeez, I see French just... No, what? But anyway. So, being stilled as a Aes Sedai, it sounds absolutely terrible. Or or being a man. Um, Well... Because they they don't even do the decent thing and, like, kill you. They like leave you alive. Yeah, that's that's you're, the terrifying bit. It, well, it's like the way it's. I mean, it probably will be explained later on, but I'll spoil it, I guess, now. But it's basically like you know, drinking water, and then seeing water nearby, but never being able to reach it again. <laughs> it's like it's torture because it's like uh, I thirst, I need to drink. To, it's right there, um, but I can't have it. Uh, I, I'm pretty certain that, like, I've made mention of it before with, um, which I'm pretty certain, like, the series is in, re- like, the thing is in reference to it with, uh, Dragon Age and, uh, being tranquiled. Uh, you uh, made Dragon but, Age references, I don't remember if tranquiled was one of them. Dra- uh, in Dragon Age, if you're a mage and you prove yourself to be, I think the term is apostate. Basically, like, you're outside of the government control of mages. You're made tranquil to basically mean that you're gentled. To mean that, like... neutered of magic. Yeah, you're neutered of magic and also emotions themselves. That And that just sounds absolutely terrifying because you get to speak to a tranquil person and they're, they're still cognizant, they're still all there, but they are completely and utterly emotionless. And that is absolutely terrifying to deal with. I mean, just the con- just I the concept. Pull it off, of it. But... <laughs> no, no, just like, it, it, again, it is just it, it it sort of accommodates. Sorry, accommodates. So sort of occupies the same sort of kind of mental level as like being lobotomized in my mind. So it's just like that level of horror. Lobotomized means you don't have any control over anything. And you just kind of sit there like a dead vegetable. That's really uh, not not quite. You can still function lobotomized. It's just that like well, I, I think it depends on the lobotomized the, person because the only ones I've ever yeah, seen yeah, and also the, quali- the the quality of the job done. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> but just you can still like you can still function, but it is like the quality of life you'll have after that point you don't want to actually think about it and like there's a certain level of horror here which I was not comfortable with just reading it. Just be like, yeah, yeah. To be fair, no. there are certain reasons to use it and in some situations Wrong. they use it properly and a lot more situations I think it's improperly, but <sighs> if I don't know, just I would prefer just to be killed. Just, just saying. I mean if, if somebody commits a crime to the point where they need to be stilled or gentled, typically that would be a crime worthy of death. Yeah, I, can, I You might as I well just finish the job instead of just leaving it half-baked. That's stupid. Anyway. Um, Seeing as a mercy, that's somehow that's even worse. But, uh, sorry, continue. It, yeah, I suppose. Um, so... With stilling and gentling, it's a historical thing where uh, men have been gentled since the breaking. Um, There's no hint as to it being done before the breaking, but it's imagined that it was done, however, on a rare occasion, more for any criminal-based 
activities may be done by a man or a woman with the one power and them being need to be removed from doing those horrible crimes or whatever it is that they would do. Um, but since the breaking and since men went mad because of the taint, um, the female Aes Sedai, and I say female Aes Sedai because technically the men who could channel were male Aes Sedai. So the story kind of picks up where Aes Sedai is a term used exclusively by females due to the fact there are no male Aes Sedais still alive. And, um, yeah, it's continue. the cycle kind of got clipped, if you will. But um, I don't know, like sort of like the transition of terms and like terms becoming gendered. Like I can fully understand that here. Yeah, well, I mean, it it was it was a term as like uh, a title, like it was more yeah. of a title than anything. But then it became exclusively stuck to one because the other half became basically rabid and they yeah. dealt with that which i can i can kind of understand the fact that they had to do it because they were stuck in that situation and it wasn't necessarily a pleasant one i don't think the women did it because like haha we have crushed the men i think it was no, no, more start, of start, they're blowing start, up the world we need to stop them <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, I think okay, what happened not... afterwards is that they basically took it to another level and basically gave up on the men ever being able to be free of the Dark One. They just assumed that the taint was all there is, and they're just kind of like left them there. So yeah. in, in my uh, in my not... personal opinion, I don't think the women did enough to try to combat it. Instead, they kind of just gave up thinking that that's just the way it is. Yeah, I was going to joke, and, uh, well, I actually don't know if, it, like, the Arjars were a thing during, like, this time of the world, but, like, you know, just the Red Arjars. I believe yeah. the Arjars are more recent. Um, yeah, I, 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 pre, I kind of... Pre the that. breaking, it was more of an open type of thing, like, you... Everyone's, just, just everyone's an Aes Sedai, everyone's equal. Basically. Very egalitarian, but, yeah, uh... Basically. Yeah. So I, I think the Arjars have been more since after the breaking when the tower was established that's when it became a more of a a unified organization as opposed to just like you know your neighbor down the street was an Aes Sedai your co-worker was an Aes Sedai your dog was an Aes Sedai like everybody I'm, I'm, everybody I'm, I'm, was an Aes Sedai so I'm, I'm sorry I just wanted to make it into a meme now of it just say like lost in red Asha. basically yeah just, just every time that he wronged a man, just like, just like oh, lost in right Asha. Basically. So with with that all being done, you got the stilling and the gentling, and you know Logain's on his way to Tarvalon to get gentled and all that fun stuff. Um, I think he got to Tarvalon by the time they came up north. I mean, I, I was gonna say, wasn't he gentled by this time? He was. Remember when he was? Or in did Kainland, they make mention of him? He wasn't like, gentle. He wasn't know. gentle by the time he got to Camelin. He had to go to Tarvalin, get judged, and then get gentle. Okay, like uh, I know. I'm again. It, it. Okay, sorry. It's just like a like kind of weird thing that we don't think about these days of just the fact that like you know, now we is like information now 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 like we know we're very up to date where everything but like yeah. You, you kind of actually have to like keep tabs on like where everyone is, where everyone is and it takes a long time to get to Tarvalon from 
Andor, like, weeks and weeks. But you also got to remember is that as soon as the end of the Eye of the World with, you know, the Battle at Tarwin's Gap happening and then Shadar <coughs> sending out news, that's when then the Omerlin Siege shows up. So I don't know the exact time frame because I don't think we're given one because it's not really no, we aren't. necessary for what is going on at the moment. Um, we'll get to things later that will piece things together a bit more, but essentially, I think it was two or three weeks for the uh, Omerlin to show up with her entourage uh, to Shinar. And I think it seems like it'd be about the same time that Loghain and that entourage, along with Elaine and them going up to Tarvalon for training and whatnot would have happened, but it doesn't really matter because it's not, they're not like closely linked or anything, but I think that's kind of what's going on. So I don't think it's actually taken place, but I could be wrong. It's not a big deal if I am, because it's not really that big of a deal. Um, the events themselves individually are big deals, but them being tied together yeah. for this particular instance I, are not a big deal. I don't think anyone's going to pick you apart for this. Just you would saying. be surprised, but even if yeah, they do, I, that's fine. I, I, I will gladly eat that hat, but, you know, just... <laughs> just make sure it's edible. Um, <laughs> it's candy hat! Yay! Um, I'll eat a chocolate hat any day. Um, so, now that that part's over with, I'm going to jump into the next reading bit. Moraine had known the risk from the first, and she knew it was necessary. That did not mean it was pleasant to dwell on. Her eyes narrowed, and only the gleam in them showed her anger and her worry. Liani would follow you to the slopes of Shale Ghoul, Swan, and into the pit of doom. You cannot think she would betray you. No, but then would she think it betrayal? Is it betrayal to betray a traitor? Do you th never think of that? Never. What we do, Swan, is what must be done. We have both known it for nearly twenty years. The wheel weaves as the wheel wills, and you and I were chosen for this by the pattern. We are a part of the prophecies, and the prophecies must be fulfilled. Must. The prophecies must be fulfilled. We were taught that they will be and must be, and yet the fulfillment is treason to everything else we were taught. Some would say to everything we stand for. Rubbing her arms, the Amarlin seat walked over to peer through the narrow arrow slit at the garden below. She touched the curtains. Here in the women's apartments they hang draperies to soften the rooms and they paint beautiful gardens. But there is no part of this place not purpose-made for battle, death, and killing. She continued in the same pensive tone. Only twice since the breaking of the world has the Amarlin been stripped of stolen staff. Tetswan, who betrayed Menethrin for jealousy of Elisande's powers, and Bonwin, who tried to use Otter Hawkwing for a puppet to control the world and so nearly destroyed Tarvalon. The Amarlin continued her study of the garden. Both of the red, and both replaced by Amarlin from the blue. The reason there has not been an Amarlin chosen from the red since Bonwin 
and the reason the Red Arjar will take any pretext to pull down an armament from the blue, all wrapped neatly together. I have no wish to be the third to lose the stolen staff, Moraine. For you, of course, it would mean being stilled and put outside the Shining Walls. So, it's a short bit to read, but I thought it had some useful information yeah. in there. <laughs> Since we've um, had a little bit of Clash of the Titans in the Aja territory, so... Yeah, he, here we are actually getting into like, the proper nitty-gritty of the... Uh, um, Fateful... Uh, poli- like the politics of it. Yeah, there's another word for it. I'm... I'm it's fled my mind, but <laughs> the fateful I'm meeting or whatever. But yeah, so essentially, I did love Swan's things. Like, is it betrayal to betray a traitor? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, you know, that's actually a really good question. You know, I've just. I mean, yes, because it's betrayal. And it depends entirely on the morals thing. So. Well, I mean, irregardless of your moral sending, betraying someone is betrayal, even if it's betraying a traitor. Who is betraying you? Like, it's betrayal. Doesn't matter no, no, who's I, who's I, what I part of the moral I, I, spectrum. Again, it's, it's a rhetorical question, so I guess you're kind of left open to. Well, I mean, uh, she asked, "Did you never think of that?" And she answered, "Never." <laughs> so it's not necessarily rhetorical. Rhetorical question, and she just. Answered it. That's the ultimate. Like, uh, you want someone to answer that? Uh, that Did you ever think? Always... No. How dare you answer that question? It wasn't to be answered. <laughs> no, it's, it's always funny when that happens. To see that. Yes. So basically, they're talking about you know the prophecies must be fulfilled. Yada yada. But then we hear about the history of the eyes to die. And that there were two um, Omerlins basically thrown down, if you will, or they become stripped of stolen staff. And Tetswan, and I don't know if you remember in the early chapters when Moraine was doing her Manetherin spiel, I believe it was in there where they talked about like Manetherin called for aid and none came. Well, at this point, I believe Tetswan would have been the one kind of in charge of organizing the free peoples, if you will, against the Dark One. Um, and Tetswan betraying Minethrin because of jealousy of Elisanda's powers, which, mind you, wiped out an entire Dark One army. Like, we're mm. talking all of them. Dark Friends, Trollocs, Murdral... Any shadow spawn period, just poof. <laughs> so that's some pretty big power. Um, I am surprised, however, that she didn't also target some of that over to Tetswan. But um, and then Bonwin basically was around for Arthur Hawkwing and tried to use him to basically run the world as the, the big. I don't know, the big alpha on top, I guess, of the of the chain food chain. And um, both of those ended extremely poorly. Now, I will direct you, <laughs> your attention, to the similarities these two women have. And that would be the red. 
Now, does it mean that every red per every red sister is bad? No. Does it mean there's a pattern? Yes. <laughs> there is a pattern. Um, and as we meet Aes Sedai, you'll occasionally meet, you know, Aes Sedai from random Ajahs that you're just like, I really don't like that person. <laughs> but you'll always, always find a consistency of rotten apples in the red Ajah. Very few okay. of them have actual, like, reasons to be sourpusses, so to speak, let alone absolute jerks to everyone and anyone they meet. I look think. forward to meeting the one red Aja, which I actually like, and just latching onto them like a little limpet. And uh, just be like, no, actually, there are th there are a couple reds that aren't that bad. And in fact, they're actually likable. Okay, we good. We don't meet them for a while, though. <laughs> so, ah, okay, fine. <laughs> to be fair, it's not like we're meeting every red sister right up front. However, we are meeting red sisters, and you know who a couple of them are already. Um, yeah. So, yeah, basically, you know, Swan's like, I'm not looking forward to being, you know, a deposed Omerlin. You know, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, <laughs> and after this, Moraine kind of responds with, you know, you know, a lot of it would never, you know, let me just be stilled and put out of the shining walls. Like, <laughs> and it's like, uh, she's also thinking in her head about Swan, like, why is she acting this way? She's never acted this way before. Like, is something really bothering her? Um, where's her normal umph and attitude that's unbreakable? And she's like, well, it's not going to happen anyway, Swan, so I wouldn't worry about it. But Swan's just, like, ignoring everything Moraine's saying. It's like, hey, it'd be different. I, I'd not only be stilled, but I can't be you know, let loose among the world but being a fallen Omerlin because, you know, I might be a martyr or a rallying point for anybody trying to oppose whoever's in the current political power. But Tetswan and Bonwin were both kept in the White Tower as servants. Scullery maids who you could, like, look at and point and say, see that person? That's somebody you don't want to do anything bad because you're gonna become that person not a good thing and this line here i do find ironic and anyone who's read the series before um will probably enjoy this no one can rally around a woman who must scrub floors and pots all days pity her yes but not rally to her it's a inside joke for us veterans um okay <laughs> you're not going to get it for a while. Um, it's it's one of those interesting connection points that you don't think about because you read the series so much, but you always forget about the early content. See, like, I'm I'm being a pure outsider. Like, I, I understand what they're saying, and, like, I fully get it, but you know, I, I... What, what you're saying, I, I'm fully just expected to just be, like, sort of just, like, ah, just later on. I mean, so if many... you can remember this, sure, but there's a lot of... Yeah, that's to put another out. thing. Just, you know, tuck that, tuck that away for later. It is, it's, it's definitely a tuck that away for later moment, but... I'm going to have to go through my previous episodes and just start see... Start micro notes down. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the, the problem is you, like, trying to separate the actual genuine ones for the facetious it'll, ones. It'll also be... I mean, all of them are 
real. Okay. If I'm okay, saying no. tuck that away for later, yeah. then I mean legitimately tuck well, that away for later. <laughs> is, is there a like a companion book series? Not there... companion book, companion book series to this. <laughs> well, there is no history of Middle Earth for Wheel of Time, unfortunately. Um, but yeah. History, history of Middle Wheel. Middle what? Never mind. <laughs> Anyway, um, Moraine gets actually, kind of... Actually, is, there, is there actually like a sound like uh, I am, I'm sorry, I'm I'm messing up with like the pronunciation, the Silmarillion. The Silmarillion. Silmarillion is there like a like unequivalent to that in the uh, Wheel of Time? No. Well, okay. No mind. The not. companion guide doesn't have stories. It just basically tells you like definitions about people or maybe like a minor backstory about characters and stuff. It doesn't like. Okay. Tell you a story like, or be a history. The history like, in Wheel of Time you find out in the series. Like here, we learned about uh, Tetsuan and Bonwin, Arthur Hawkwing, or anything like that. All the old stuff we find out in the actual story. So it's built in essentially. Okay. It's just that I was actually talking with my girlfriend about the Silmarillion recently. So, Silmarillion you know, is fantastic, so, honestly. So stuff like that. It's just been like. Um... Shout out to the Prancing Pony podcast. Woo. Um. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Anyway, aside aside, you know, be damned. But you know, continue. So Moraine basically, you know, begins to get a bit upset with Swan and them being friends. At this point, since they are alone in private, still since the end of the chapter was basically them being alone in private. Um, she's giving her kind of the rough side of her tongue, and she's basically saying, you know, we've been working around this for years. You can't tell me now you're about to give up and just let it all up. Like, we're, you know, <laughs> are you worried about getting switched and, you know, scrubbing pots? And she's trying to be as... I, I, I want to say she's basically egging her on into a fight. She's trying to rekindle her fire. Like, that, that, that burning attitude that Swan has. Like, Swan has a rough attitude. And she can burn most people with just her words like she's got a fire in her so at this point moraine's trying to kindle that and swan spins around and you can tell that she's still got that fire it's being held back a little bit but it's still there and her eyes just show the anger and <laughs> She kind of goes into this monologue about how basically when they were novices and stuff like that, she remembers, you know, Moraine was the louder of the two when they got switched. Um, and Moraine grew up in Kyrian and had a soft life. And Swan had to grow up in uh, Tyr on a fishing boat. And Swan does what she does a lot. And she slaps the table with a loud crack. <laughs> And she's like, I'm not suggesting giving up, but I don't propose to, like, watch everything just fall between our hands like sand. And, like, while we can do nothing, like, we gotta, we gotta do something. And pretty much all my issues with the tower, like, the, the tower hall is you, Moraine. You're my issue. <laughs> the Greens are like, why haven't you called her back? And, you know, disciplined her a bit. And then the other half of the sisters that are, you know, with her right now, or not with her right now, sorry, with her in the tower, like, 
her half of the sisters that support her are like, you need to hand her over to the red and, you know, pretty much going over to that again, red's not exactly the nicest people on the planet for the most part, you know, you're going to be basically become a novice again. And, you know, it's going to be switching. is going to be the least of your worries. Put it that way. And if anybody remembers we're friends as novices, I'd probably get pulled down and switched beside you at the same time. Um, and then she continues on basically like we had a plan. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to find the boy, bring him to Tarvalin, we hide him, we keep him safe, and guide him. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, wait, the most political place on planet, I guess, Earth. <laughs> um, and you want to bring them there where everyone is extremely political, so they're always looking to see, like, what is this person doing? What is this person doing? It's literally, like, the worst place to hide a secret. <laughs> let's bring him to this place and hide him. So in my head, it's like the worst idea ever, but, and so Moraine is supposed to bring the boy Tarvalin, keep him safe and got him. But since she left the tower, she's got, or since she's left the Moraine's left the tower, Swan has only gotten two messages. And basically one saying, I'm going to this place called the two rivers into this village called Emmons field. And, Swan's thinking, oh, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. We found him. We found him. We found him. We're going to have him here soon. Boom. We're good. And then she gets a letter from Camelin saying, by the way, we're going to Shinar and Faldara. Not the location we were planning on, which is Tarvalin. And it's like, yeah, you know that place, Faldara, right next to the Blight? You know, literally just like lean outside and touch it. You know, that one. And, you know, where Trollocs and Merdral are <laughs> every single day. And after 20 years of planning and searching, you're basically going to throw them basically into the Dark One's lap. Are you insane? <laughs> and then Moraine's just like, all right, now I can calm down because her fire's kind of rekindled a little bit. So we're, we're, we're in good shape. And Moraine does what she does best, which is basically, the pattern pays no heed to human plans, Swan. <laughs> <laughs> or as as she always says, the wheel weaves as the wheel wills. Or as I like to say, it is what it is. Um, and she basically is like, you know, we forgot that we're dealing with Taviran throughout this entire plan. And not one, not two, but three Taviran. And Elida basically claims that, you know, Arthur Hawkwing was the strongest Taviran basically to ever live. And Moraine's like, no, in this case, this kid is like the strongest Taviran ever to live. And Swan's kind of like, her anger disappears into just shock. Like, her face, blood drains from it, pale as all get out. I mean, what it actually says is the anger left the Amarin's face, replaced by white face shock. Like, I mean, just all blood just out of her face. And it's like, are you saying we should give up, Moraine? Like, are you saying that we should just let the world burn as we stand aside? And Moraine's like, no, 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 not standing aside. But in her mind, she's thinking, yeah, the world's going to burn one way or the other. You don't seem to understand that, Swan. <laughs> and 
Marin continues on with basically saying, you know, our plans were plans, but we don't have as much control as we thought we did. And Destiny's kind of pushing us where we're going. And we got to just take that ride where it leads us. Of course, Swan just like, does not like that. And she basically shivers like, you know, those cold winds were flickering onto her. And she goes to this flattened cube of gold and just it's basically the chest is what it is it's the chest with the horn and she lifts up the horn of Alir and reads the old tongue script but she translates it into the grave is no bar to my call and then she goes in, this is like a, a recap historical event where it's like the horn of Alir made to call dead heroes back from the grave prophecies it would only be found just in time for the last battle now keep just in time does not mean the minute before it means within a reasonably soon time period it's not a immediate thing like imagine finding this before you had a dragon reborn and the dragon reborn can't fight the shadow because you found the horn first why would you ever want to find the horn <laughs> before you mm -hmm. had the dragon that would just screw up everything if it was instantaneously so there's there's still time but now that it's found, we know that we're like we're in the last inning. We know that it's it's we're gonna be finishing this game soon, so let's let's push forward and win. Um, but then she puts the horn back in and closes the lid as quickly as possible, and explains that Algamar basically dumped it on her as soon as she came in, like as soon as the welcome was done, because he was didn't want it in his own strong room. He didn't feel safe with it. Um, there's too strong a temptation and it was pulling at him to, you know, want to be the one to sound it and then lead a host um, into the north, into the blight and even to Shale Ghoul and, you know, level it and end the Dark One, which is ironically laughable because, you know, you can't really kill the Dark One because the Dark One's a little, he's not like a physical entity necessarily. Um, mm. But basically he's, burning with glory and thoughts of glory and you know the prophecy of the horn specifically is you know let whosoever sounds me think not of glory but only of salvation and of course swan thinks that's you know a depressing bit it's like from the look of Algamar's eyes he didn't know whether he was giving away salvation or rejecting the condemnation of his own soul <laughs> it's like wow that's rough dude um, he just had to be, you know, rid of it before it ate him up. And I'm thinking like, this is like the one ring <laughs> almost like got to get rid of it before it, you know, tears me up inside. Um, but he's like, well, he's going to have to put it in a strong room until I leave because I can't sleep with it. Like even in the next room, um, it's like, it wasn't supposed to be found until just before the last battle. Are we really that close? I thought we'd have more time. Again, like we had the time thing. It's like, it's not immediately, but it is in the process where we're in the final swing, if you will. And then Moraine responds with the Corinthian cycle, which is the prophecies of the dragon. And she's like, yeah, 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 Moraine. I know, I know. You don't have to remind me. I've lived with, I've lived with the prophecies of the dragon as long as you have. Um... And we've never had one more than one false dragon, and at one time, 
since the breaking, and now we've got three of them at one time, and three more in the past two years. Um, which is also kind of an indication towards the last battle where we're saying we're getting closer because it's becoming more frequent. So in the last two years, we had three. And now in this last year, we've had three. We're getting really, really close to the actual. <laughs> and if you were like a historian or somebody who's like studying the prophecies and studying real world history, like as it's playing out in front of you, you'd probably know that this is kind of like a funnel. It's a trickle, trickle, trickle. Now we're pouring. Now we're pouring. Now we're flooding. Now we're flooding. And eventually it's going to turn into one. It, it has to buy the prophecy's own demands. And the pattern demands that there's a dragon because, you know, the pattern weaves us towards Tarman Gaiden, a.k.a. the last battle. And Swan explains to Moraine that she feels like, you know, sometimes I wonder what it, like what's going on. Like, was Loghain the one? He could channel. And... Oh, here it goes right here. It mentions it. Even before the Reds brought him to the White Tower and regentled him. So, yeah, he's been gentled now at this point. Um, and it's like, well, what if we, what if you've been wrong? What if we accidentally gentled the right, the, her, the person we were looking for all this time? Like, she's, she's like having a mental breakdown at this point. Like, all this stuff's happening, and she's just like, what if we screwed it up? What if we condemned the world? And. basically Moraine comes in with like, you know, none of those people before have been the one. The pattern does not demand a dragon, but the one true dragon. And once the dragon proclaims himself, the pattern will stop popping up false dragons. So basically if there's people out in the world that are like, I'm the dragon. No, I'm the dragon. It's like Spartacus all over again. But with all these false dragons popping up. As soon as the real dragon pops up, all other false dragons are done. Like that, that's it. No more. It's only the real dragon now. And Loghain proclaimed himself and there were others. So Loghain was not the one. And here we have a little historical prophecy that hopefully will be interesting to everyone. For he shall come like the breaking dawn, and shatter the world again with his coming, and make it anew. And she kind of goes on to, like, either we go naked in the storm, or cling to a protection that will scourge us. The light help us all. Um, now, that phrase, for he shall come like the breaking dawn, and shatter the world again with his coming, and make it anew. Tuck that away for later, because it has relevance, although it's going to be from a different angle. So... It's a useful thing. Um, so then basically, you know, Swan, you know, is like, all right, well, you can't really hide much from me since I've known you for forever. So tell me the rest and what's going on. And Moraine pulls out of her pouch this little, well, basically pours it on the table as a heap of basically just pottery that's a shiny black and white. And... Swan touches it and she like kind of catches her breath and she's like, Oh, Quendiar. Like <laughs> that's that's a big deal. And now Quendiar is also known as Heartstone. And it was a uh, a lost art, if you will, where Quendiar is 
I mean, it, it seems like simple pottery and whatnot, but it's literally the more you damage it, the stronger it becomes kind of thing. So it's like Hulk, but in pottery form. <laughs> uh, Hulk the better. So basically, even if you hit it with the one power, it becomes stronger and stronger. Now, this is a piece of Quendiara that is of extreme importance. And it's shattered. So, Swan kind of takes the pieces, puts them together, and it forms this uh, shape the size of a man's hand. And it's a disc that's half black and half white. It looks like the yin-yang, essentially. Hmm. And they basically these two teardrops are like meeting each other in the very middle. And it's the ancient symbol of the Aes Sedai before the world was broken, when men and women wield the power together. Half of it was called the Flame of Tarvalin, the other half was called the Dragon's Fang. So the Dragon's Fang, which would be the black part, would be what people would say is, you know, you're a dark friend, so you have you, you accuse people of evil with it. Um and the white side is called the tear of, uh, or the flame of Tarvalin, or the tear of Tarvalin, depending on how you want to look at it and who you talk to. Um, and basically, of these, uh, there had the, the actual making of Quendiar was lost after the breaking, but these were made before the breaking, and there were seven of these allegedly. And one of these being broken, not good news. And the next sentence pulls us up like, why? What's the bad news? It's like, oh, it's one of the seals of the Dark One's prison. Say, what? <laughs> now, quick recap of what we just learned. You know, the pattern is really screwing up our plans that we've made for 20 years. We found the guy who's supposed to be the Dragon Reborn, but until he declares himself... We're going to keep having um, false dragons pop up. But as soon as he does, they're going to be, poof, all gone. And that will be basically like the beginning of the end, if you will. We also have the Horn of Valir, which is also the beginning of the end. Because as soon as it's found, last battle's on its way. So uh, you, know, you know, I'm just saying, it would be nice if there was like an <laughs> artifact that wasn't the, like a portent until the end. You know, just saying. I mean, to be fair, Maureen has one, but that's a different story for another time. But, um... <laughs> okay, now, moving on. And then we have the Dark One seals. So we have one of the seals being broken when it's made of contents that literally cannot be broken. So explain that one. And back onto the downers. Basically, like, it's just like, this is all laying out, basically, if you couldn't figure out that we're close to the last battle before... And if you can't do it now, I'm sorry, there's just no helping you. <laughs> like, it's it's happening. Um, and they're basically like, you know, the Dark One's trying to break free and can't stay in his prison sealed forever. And we could never match the creator's work. We know that he's going to touch the world again. Um, even though, even though he's, since he's still in his prison sealed away... He can't touch it directly, so he's touching it indirectly. Um, we get more dark friends, and all this stuff's happening in a negative form, and it's compiling. And like, well, we don't seem to have time if the seals are breaking. So, 
the Omerlin's like, you know, I saw the boy, and when during the welcome, and it's one of my talents to see Taviran, a rare talent these days. I'm like, yeah, these people all have the rare talents. <laughs> um, but you could argue that the pattern made that happen. So, um, he's like a tall boy, fairly handsome young man, not much different than any young man that you might see in town. And he's like, well, he blazed like the flipping sun. Like he stood out in the crowd, if you will. <laughs> Obviously only she sees him like that. But, um, it's like, I haven't been afraid much in my life, but seeing him made me terrified to my toes. I wanted to cower and howl. Alcabar thought I was angry with him, and I that because I just said so, very little, and he's the one we've been see searching for for twenty years. And Moraine thinks it's like it's almost a question. He's like, "Yep, that's him." It's like, "Are uh, you? Can you be certain? Like, what can you do? He can't one power. What, what? What? Like, just falling over herself." And it's like. Yeah, he can. And Moraine kind of goes into her head. It's like, you know, I'm going to loose that on the world. <laughs> Randall Thor is going to stand before the world as the Dragon Reborn. And, of course, Swan's like, oh, ooh, like the boogeyman just got sent out or something. And she's like, well, Randall Thor doesn't sound like a name that's going to inspire fear and set the world on fire. <laughs> this is like, wow, about that. <laughs> Um, it's like, well, that's definitely an interpretation. Just <laughs> well, I was just saying, like Randall Thor, it isn't something like it's not like a you know Gothmog, Lord of the Balrocks. You know, like it's not gonna be something like terrifying to hear. It's just like Randall Thor, farmer extraordinaire. <laughs> Randall Thor oh, is no. a but yeah, it's like oh, you know. Is he safe here? We have two red sisters here, and I can't really vouch for the green or the yellow anymore. And, you know, it's like, I can't really vouch for anybody to, like, consume me. Even Varen and Seraphella would probably jump on him if they saw him. And Moraine's like, well, he's safe for the moment. And Swan waits, and nothing happens. And it's like, well, you're saying our original plan was pointless and worthless now, so what do, we su what do you suggest? It's like, well, I basically let him know that I don't have any interest in him, and he can go wherever he wants for all of me. <laughs> just like, I, I really want to be there with, like, seeing Swan's face when she says this. Like, I think it would be golden. Because she's just like, yeah, I basically told him I don't care and go do whatever you want to do. Wait, the person we're supposed to loosen the world, and they're supposed to destroy the world to save the world. You did what now? <laughs> And everybody's like, no, 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 no. Listen to me, listen to me. Bear with me. It's necessary. He's raised in a Manetheran area, and stubborn blood goes through all of them, except for him, because he's not from there. But <laughs> but his own blood, aside from that, is basically a rock beside the clay that is Manetheran. So, like, he's more stubborn than the most stubborn group on the planet. And we have to be careful with him, or he'll jump wherever he wants. And that's probably not where we want him to go. So, how do we go about this? How about we just swaddle him up, treat him like a newborn babe, and, you know, tickle his toes. And then basically, we need to do that. I mean, 
that's great and dandy, but how's that going to really solve our problem right now of him going wherever he wants to go? Ryan's like, well, you know, he's got his two buddies, you know, Matt Cawthon and Perrin Ibarra, or Matt Cawthon, if you want to be particular, and they want to see the world before they, you know, go back into the two rivers and disappear, if they think they can, because they're also Deveran, a little bit lesser than him, him being Rand. He's like, I'll basically tell him, like, hey, you should go take the Horn of Valyr to Ilion. And, by the way, Matt has a problem because he has a dagger from Shader Logoth. What? <laughs> Why did you take him to no, that, that place? That's, what, that's always a sticking point. <laughs> like, why did you even think going there would be a good idea? And it's like, more to touch the boy. Whew. And it's like, well, that happened, we'd be all done for. And I was like, eh, didn't happen, so don't worry about it. <laughs> it was necessary, and I've basically taken care of Matt enough to where he won't infect other people. But he's had the dagger way too long before I even knew it was there, so the link is there. Um, I thought I had to take him to Tarvalin to cure it, but with so many sisters nearby, it might be done here. As long as there's a few that you can, you know, trust not to see dark friends where there are none. Um, you and I and two others will suffice if I use my Ongrail. And Swan's like, hmm, Leon would do for one. I could probably find another. The Hull wants that Ongrail back, though. And there's not very many of them left, and you're now considered a <clears throat> unreliable. <laughs> so Moraine's like, eh. I mean, they're going to think a lot worse than me by the time I'm done with this, but Matt will leap at the chance to be part of, a, you know, the legend of the, the Horn of Valir, and Perrin's are like, yeah, go along for the ride until I go see home. And, you know, he's stuff to take off his mind off of his own troubles and such. And uh, Rand knows a bit about him and his uh, friends, um, at least a little bit. And he's kind of afraid of it. A little bit, so Perrin wants to go, or not Perrin, <laughs> Rand wants to go off alone where he, you know, kind of just away, <laughs> I guess is the easiest way to say it. He wants to go away and not hurt anybody and not use the power or whatnot. And this is the part where, like, Swan's like, yeah, might as well just give up drinking water. But at least he's he's terrified of it because he should be. Um, and Moraine's like, yeah, and he wants to be free from my Sedai. And Moraine obviously smiles at this. And giving him the chance to leave I Sedai behind and stay with his friends a while longer, he should be as, you know, eager to go as Matt. And he's like, but how is leaving I Sedai behind? Like you're I'm assuming you're traveling with him, you know, can't leave him now. And Moraine's like, Oh no, I I can't travel with him. <laughs> he's like, What? And he's like, eh, it's a long way to Faldar to Ilion, but he's traveled almost as far as already. He's like, he has to be left alone off the leash. You know, just let him do his thing. We can't do much out for it, but I've burned all their old clothes. Um, we don't want their old clothing to be falling into the hands of the enemy, so to speak. And I'm going to cleanse them, and then they won't even realize it's been done. And then they can't be tracked. And basically from that point 
Um, hopefully, the only threat that we know of is, which is ironically currently held in the dungeon here, <laughs> like that won't be a problem. And of course, Swan approves of that. So like, they'll travel pretty much as safely as it could be. Um, and then when Rand needs me and Ilion, I'll show up and when he presents the horn to the Council of the Nine in the assemblage, I will see basically everything happen as it should in Ilion. <laughs> Which you know what that means. Um, it's like the Ilioners would follow the dragon or Baalzaman if they came with the horn of Valir. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and then I'm basically because they called the hunt for the horn, there's a lot of people in Ilion right now waiting for, you know, tips and tricks. Um, and then the true, the dragon reborn will not need to really gather a following before the nations move against them. He'll begin with a nation completely around him already and with an actual full fledged army in his back. And then, you know, Swan's like drops in her chair and she's just like, huh, but is he going to actually do it? Is he going to actually proclaim himself if he's afraid of it? I mean, he should be, but. Anybody who names the dragon want the power, and he doesn't want it, so... You're like, ah, I have the means to him being named dragon whether he wants it or not. <laughs> Which I think is like, wow, this got dark really quick. <laughs> mm. But um, he's like, well, if all else fails, the pattern pattern is going to make him the dragon one way, whether he wants it or not, even if I don't do anything. So one way or the other, he's going to have to accept it. And he is Taviran, so he has no more control over his own fate than a candle wick has over its flame. And, of course, Swan's like, okay, but that seems awfully dangerous and risky. Like, this could go sour pretty bad. And then I love, <laughs> she talks about how her father used to say, girl, if you don't take a chance, you'll never win a copper. It's like, a haiku. <laughs> but... <laughs> um, He's like, well, we have plans to make, and, you know, I'll send for wine and cheese. And Warren's like, yep, nope, we, we've been here a little too long, and if anybody's trying to listen and they found your rewarding, they're going to be wondering why. And it's not really worth the risk at the moment. Um, but in Moraine's head, she's thinking, he's like, Swan, you're my dearest friend, but even then I can't tell, I can't tell you everything because it's a risk, and I have to hold on to it. So I was like, eh, I suppose. But in the morning, I want to do in the morning. So Moraine's like, okay, in the morning. And he's like, well, I'll tell you everything you need to know then. Keywords, everything you need to know. <laughs> Not everything, everything you need to know. So then Moraine leaves and Leon's, you know, outside and gives her a look and then rushes inside. And Moraine was trying to put on, like, a face of, I just got yelled at by the Omerlin. And, you know, since Swan is notorious for her upbraidings, very few women, no matter how strong-willed or anything like that, returned, you know, basically without being chastened or have that feel of them being just chastened and regretting it <laughs> like swan's a force of nature so it's always nice in that regard but it's getting late and everything and she's like you know we got a lot to talk about in the morning or we got a lot about yeah a lot to talk about in the morning but it's getting late but there's got a lot to be done 
so she kind of just starts walking a little faster into the keep. And now we're changing POV to clear opposite side of the world. <laughs> and we have this uh, wonderful descriptions of the night in Terabon. And there's a full 2,000 children of the light uh, mounted in white tabards and cloaks, bright armor, supply of uh, supply train of wagons and such, and everything you need for basically an army. And they were told to basically show up here at the edge of Almuth Plain, at the border of Terabon, and they're supposed to meet somebody there. So Jeff from Bornhold, which you may remember who this person is, considering Perrin had a run-in with him um, over in Andor. And Jeff from Bornhold uh, had a meeting with Pedron Nile, uh, Lord Captain Commander of the Children of the Light in Amador. And there's this little image slash uh, flashback, I guess, is the best way to do it. <laughs> Describe it. And basically, memory. it's a flashback memory. And it's basically Jeffram being talked to by a white-haired man. And he's like, yeah, I gave you the oath, you know, 36 years ago. But now's the time. And Jeffram's like, my Lord Captain Commander, because that's the title they use for top tier. Um, he's like, why have we been called back from Camelon with such urgency? And, like, I could have given a little push and more gays could have, you know, flopped. And houses in Andor see Tarvalin basically as dangerous as we do. And I left Eamon Valda in charge, but he wants to follow the daughter heir to Tarvalin rather than, you know, push more gays. And he's like, well, I wouldn't be surprised to hear he kidnapped Elaine, maybe even attacked Tarvalin. And, you know, his son, Dane, who's just arrived before Bornhold was recalled. And Bane, 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 <laughs> Dane is a bit full of zeal sometimes, a little too full. Um, but he'd probably fall in with whatever Valda said to do. And... You know, Pedro Niles, like, you know, well, Valda walks in the light, and, but you're the, my best battle commander amongst the children, and you are going to assemble a full legion, and find the best of the best, and you're going to take them to Terabon, and avoid anyone attached to a tongue, or any eyes attached to a tongue that might speak, and any such tongue must be silenced if they, if those eyes see. And he's like, well, 50 children together, or even 100, could enter a land without any question. At least with, obviously, open question. But an entire legion? It's like, well, are we going to war? Or, you know, maybe that our Hawkwing's armies have come back? And Pedro Nile didn't say anything. He's like, well, what about the king? And Pedro Nile's like, the king does not command the children. Lord Captain Bornhold? I do. The king can sit in his palace and do whatever he does best, which is nothing. <laughs> um, he's like, you're going to go to a village at al Kruana, and there you'll receive final orders. He's like, you should show up with a legion in about three days. 
Now, go do that. I got things to do. And he's like, who am I going to meet, though? Why am I risking a war with Terabond? It's like, you'll be told what you got to do when you get there. And he's like, ugh. There are things going on that we don't have all the answers to. And I cannot tell you. But just choose your men and get there. Don't ask me any more questions. And light ride with you. And then it kind of flashes back to the future. <laughs> back to the present, at least. And, you know, he's like, I got this knot in my back. I'm getting old. Like, this is, I'm too old to keep doing this kind of mentality of an old timer. And um, he's like, well, I got here with 2,000 guys and I didn't have to kill any innocents. And he's like, he could be really hard on dark friends as anybody sworn to the light. You know, they have to be destroyed before they pull the world into the shadow. But he doesn't, he wants to make sure they were dark friends first. <laughs> Which I think is ironic, considering his previous encounters. Um, mm. But he had had a bit of a trouble trying to avoid uh, any Terraboner eyes with 2,000 men, obviously. But going through the backcountry, he had managed it, and he didn't have to silence anyone. Then he had scout, uh, scouts come back and, you know, basically their torches ruined the... Uh, <laughs> The night vision everyone had gotten. So these scouts um, brought back with them more men. And these men had um, sunbursts instead of being the usual sunbursts were red or with the, the sunbursts had a red shepherd's crook. They're questioners. They basically use hot irons and pinchers and dripping water to pull confessions and repentance from dark friends. And they basically decide you're guilty before they even start. Um, he's like, wait, I've been sent here to meet questioners? And they're like, well, we've been waiting for you, Lord Captain Barnhold. He's like, you could have been here a better time. I'm Anor Saren, second to Jacob Cardin, who commands the Hand of the Light in Terabon. The hand of the light, the hand that dug out truth, so they said. They didn't like being called questioners. It's like, there's a bridge at the village. We have have your men move across. We'll talk in the end. It's surprisingly comfortable. And Jeffram's like, I was told to avoid all eyes. And he's like, well, we took care of that. <laughs> wow, that got dark really quick. So basically, he's like, well, I guess all those bodies have been piled outside the village, or if they've been thrown in the river. It'd be like questioners, you know, cold enough to kill an entire village for secrecy, and stupid enough to throw the bodies in the river to float downstream and trumpet their, de their deed from Alcruana to Tanchico. It's like, to be fair, he's not wrong. He's like, well, what I'm doubting is why I'm in Terabon with 2,000 men, questioner. And of course, he calls him questioner because he knows they don't like it being called that. He's like, well, simple, Lord Captain. There are towns and villages across Almuth Plain with none in authority above mayor or town council. In this past time, they were brought to the light. There would be many dark friends in such places. And he's like, are you saying I literally just brought 2,000 guys through backwater country to avoid everyone just to root out some dark friends in grubby villages? <laughs> it's like, I can understand his frustration and shock. And he's like, you're here to do as you're told. And if battle's what you seek, you may have your chance. These strangers, 
these new people to the uh, coast, if you will. Um, have a great force on Toman Head, greater than Tarabon and Eridamon together may be able to handle. So, even if they can stop their own bickering long enough to work with each other, the strangers can break through and you'll have fighting all the fighting you can handle. I'm thinking, like, you think 2,000 people is going to be able to stop a full-fledged army that's big enough for freaking two countries? <laughs> you insane? Um, and the Terraboners are claiming that, you know, the strangers are monsters, creatures of the Dark Ones, that they have eyes to die to fight for them. You know, if they are Dark Friends, these strangers, they will have to be dealt with. It's their turn. And, you know, Bornaz like, you know, then the rumors are true. Our Hawkwing's armies have returned. And so it's like, ha, strangers. And probably dark friends from wherever they came from. And I love the dismissal. Like, it's the egotistical dismissal of just, like, anything. Where Bornhold's like, I'm more keen to believe the actual stories that have actually, like, a grain of truth to them. Than just be like, yeah, they're just strangers. Yes, because ah, just, just strangers just pop out of nowhere. And, um... It's like, well, they don't concern you. And, you know, move your men across the river. I'll give you orders in the village. And yeah. ah, pish posh, hand wave, hand wave. Pish posh, poppycock, as they say. Um, uh, and then basically, Bornhold oh, summons so everyone's favorite white cloak, Child Bayar. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a favorite of uh, James. Um, and he's like, hey, there's a bridge ahead. Move the legion over the river, make camp. I'll join you as soon as I can. So then he basically follows the questioners. And he's like, well, there's stones on a board. But who's moving us and why? Basically, it's a strategy game. So he's trying to figure out the strategies of why people are moving, who, what, when, where, why, and how. And since he is a pretty well-renowned battle uh, general, I guess, <laughs> battle master or something. Battle Commander. That's the term I'm looking for. Um, yeah, he's like, yeah, how do I do this? Now we're switching viewpoints again. Back to the other side of the world. And we basically have Leandrin in the uh, Faldar Keep uh, making her way through the women's apartments. And we learn a little bit about I don't want to say it's lore, but the believings, if you will, of the people. Where Twilight was a troubled time for Leandrin specifically because, you know, when day was born, you know, the light shines, you know, the light's the good guys. Twilight gives birth to night, but also, you know, darkness and stuff. And the Dark One's power is rooted in death, and he gains his power from death, and these are the times dark where he feels that the power is more strong so you know she's not particularly fond of it at this point so then she shows up and they're serving women in black and gold and she just doesn't care she just goes to the, the door just looks all the different directions around the hall and then see some servants there's no men she's in the women's quarters obviously and they just push the door open without even knocking um, and this is the outer room of Lady Amalisa, um, Aglomar's uh, sister. And she's in there, and she has some ladies about her in the room, and they're in chairs and on the layered carpets, listening to somebody in their group reading to them. It's the Dance of the Hawk and the Hummingbird. 
by Tevin Erwin, which is supposed to be the proper conduct of men towards women and women towards men. And of course, Leandrin mouth tightens because it's basically all she's good for. Um, See, I, 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 like, I, I kind of, like, I've been sort of like doing my own sort of like uh, personal uh, world building my own sort of stuff, and I was like, ah, oh, that, that's kind of a cultural text, and then smash cut to like a few lines later where they're just like rolling around on the floor laughing, just that the, the sheer ridiculousness of the customs presented the book, and you know, that, that sort of stuff. Uh, basically, it, it's more or less like a book on chivalry from the viewpoint of the Shinarans, really. Yeah, and it, it, it's funny to at least read, so. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's something where it's like, you know, it's interesting, funny, but also, like, the talk of tales of women, you know, they think it's interesting. And, you know, they're all, like, having fun, even though these are, like, full-grown women. Um, but then the reader notices Leandrin before anybody else, and she just stops and has wide eyes. And, um, you know, Lady, Lady Amalisa, you know, scrambles to their feet, and you're like, oh, hey. And there are... Basically, all laughter's cut off. Joy is stripped from the room, and Leandrin has arrived. <laughs> it's basically how it turns. So then Lady Amalisa's like, oh, you want us with your present, Leandrin? This is most a pleasant surprise. I didn't expect you to tomorrow. Thought you'd re want to rest after your long journey. And then just instantly like, I will speak to the Lady Amalisa alone. All of you leave now. Is basically the response we get out of this. Just boom, 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 boom. No time for anything. Just whoop. And everybody's just like shocked. And then the women are like, oh, goodbye, Lady Amalisa. And then poof, they, they dip out. And... She doesn't acknowledge their curtsies to her as she as they're all leaving, and um, she stares ahead, and they could tell that she's in a bad mood. They don't know why she's in a bad mood, so they all squeeze through, and then Amalisa's like, "I don't understand." She's like, "Do you walk in the light?" He's like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> and Leandrin realizes she made a mistake. His question, you know basically to provoke doubt and anxiety and coming from a nice die but Amelisa's back stiffens and her face hardens and it's basically because of the cultural difference of course Shinarans are that, that's that's a very offensive thing to well I mean really honestly any borderlander that's a that's an offensive thing to say towards them but specifically Shinar in this case be really really big of an insult he's like I'm Shinaran, a noble house of blood and blood of soldiers. My line's been fighting the shadow since there was a Shinar, three thousand years without fail or a day's weakness. So the Leandrin changes it. She walks across the room, takes the leather-bound copy of the, the Dance of the Hawk and Hummingbird, and just throws it into the fire. <laughs> it's like, okay, that makes no sense and while she does this she's like in China or above other lands the light must be precious and the shadow feared and he's like here above all so close to the cursed blight you know we got the corruption and anyone who thinks he walks in light may still be corrupted by the shadow and all of a sudden Amelisa's forehead has a bunch of beads of sweat 
like, well, something's going on. It's like she had raised a hand in protest for the book, and then she falls to her side, and she's like, I, I don't get it. It's, it's just, the book. It's just foolish. And there's, there's a small trace of a quiver in her voice, and Leandrin's like, "This is this is my plan. Make her quiver." And she turns to her. I'm gonna actually have you pick this up, good sir. Okay, I haven't done a, any uh, out loud like reading for a while, so uh, this is gonna be interesting. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. It is you who are foolish, my daughter. I care nothing for books. Here, men enter the blight and walk in its taint, in the very shadow. Why wonder you that he, that he taint may seep into them? Whether or not against their will, still it may seep. Why think you the Emerlin seat herself has come? No. It was a gasp. Of the red, I am, my daughter, the Andrini said relentlessly. I hunt all men corrupted. I don't understand. Not only those foully ones who try the one power, all men corrupted, high and low, do I hunt. I don't... Amelisa licked her lips unsteadily and made a visible effort to gather herself. I do not understand. The entrance that I, please, high, even before low. No! As if some vis invisible support had vanished, and Melissa fell to her knees, and her head dropped. Please, the entrance that I, so you do not mean it, Agamar. It cannot be him. That moment of doubt and confusion, Yandrin struck. She did not move, but lashed out here with the one power. Emilisa gasped and gave a jerk, as if she had been a pricked, he was pricked with a needle, and the Yandrin's ear petulant mouth here perked in a smile. This was her only special trick here from childhood, the first he had learned of her abilities. It had been forbidden to eat her as soon as the mistress who novices discovered it. But to Leandrin, that only meant he once more thing meant one more thing she needed to be concealed from the others who were jealous of her. She strode forward and pulled out Amelie's chin up. The metal that had stiffened her was he still there? Who was he base of metal now? Malleable to the right pressures. Tears trickled down in from the corners of Amelisa's eyes, glistening on her cheeks. The Andrini let the fires he died back to normal. There was no longer any need for such. She softened her words, but her voice here was as unyielding as steel. Daughter, no one wants to see you and Algamar thrown to the people as dark friends. I will help you. But you must help. Uh, help you? Amelisa put her hands to her temples. She looked confused. Please, 
Leandrin said I, I don't understand. It is all so... It's all... It was not her perfect ability. Leandrin could not even force anyone to do what she wanted, though she had tried. Oh, how she had tried. But she could not open the mere widely to her arguments, make them want to believe her, want more than anything to be convinced of her rightness. Obey, daughter. Obey and answer my questions truthfully, and I promise that no one will speak of you and Algamaya's dark friends. You will not be dragged naked through the streets to be flogged here from, your city, from the city if the people do not tear you to pieces first. I will not let this happen. You understand. Yes, Leandrin said I. Yes. I will do as you say and answer you truthfully. Leandrin straightened, looking down at the other woman. The Lady Amelisa stayed as she was, kneeling, her face as open as a child's, a child waiting to be com comforted and helped by someone wiser and stronger. There was a rightness about it to the Andrin. She had never understood why a simple bow or curtsy was sufficient for her to die when men and women knelt to kings and queens. What queen has here within her my power? Her mouth twisted angrily, and Amelisa shivered. Be easy in yourself, my daughter. I have come to help you, not to punish. Only those who deserve it will be punished. Truth only. Speak to me. I will, Leandrin said I. I will. I swear it by my house and honor. Lorraine came to Fadara with a dark friend. Amelisa was too frightened to show her surprise. Oh, no, the entrance to die, no. That man came later. He's in the dungeons now. Later, you say? But is it true that she spoke often with him? She is often in company with this dark friend. Alone? Sometimes, the entrance to die. Only sometimes. She wishes you to find out why he came. Moraine said I is... The Andrini held up her hand sharply, and Amelisa swallowed you whatever else he, she had even going to say. By three young men, Moraine was accompanied. This I know. Where are they? I have been to their rooms. They are not to be found. I... I do not know the entrance tie. They seem nice boys. Surely you don't think them dark friends? Not dark friends, no. Worse. By far more dangerous than dark friends, my daughter. The entire world is in danger from them. They must be found. You will command your servants to search the keep, and your ladies, and yourself. Every crack and cranny, to this you will see personally. Personally! And to no one will you speak of it, save those I name. None else may know. None. From Faldara in his secrecy 
these young men must be removed, and to Valen and to Tavalen taken in utter secrecy. As you command, Leandrin said I. But I do not understand the need for secrecy. No one here will hinder I said I. <sighs> Isn't that fun? <laughs> so, anything fun you pick out of that? Uh, I really do not like Leandrin. If <laughs> not, not that she ever gave me a reason to like her, but <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> She's been kind of a scumbag from the beginning with her fake smiles and stuff. Oh, that, that's a that's a shortcut of it. Just saying. Just... <laughs> Shortcut the mushrooms. Um, but yeah, it's like she's kind of playing her cards out right now, but she's also doing something which would be considered taboo. She's using the one power with a particular type of trick that is not yeah. really allowed, if you will. At the very least, this is like bear coercion. Whether or not it's like actual open like mind control, or, like, I would call it assisted need... coercion. <laughs> I, I I don't know the nitty gritty of like the the, the pure science of it, but no, well, that she it's, it's like Amelisa. Amelisa is not doing this of her own volition. Uh, I, I I'd, I'd go as far to say that it's it's a more powerful influence rather than a forceful. Like she's put into this place because of her uh, worry and fear. That's the only reason this is working. Okay, so it's manipulating pre-existing emotions or yeah. something along those lines. Think of it like what Leandrin's doing is basically handing her a cup of alcohol when her emotions are running high. And the alcohol just amplifies those, those emotions. In this case, fear and you know, terror and all that stuff. So in this case, she's like saying stuff, and then that amplified emotion is causing her to become more amiable towards suggestions by the person who casts the ability. Uh, yeah. There are other terms and words used for these types of things later on, but we'll find them later on, and you'll know them when you hear them or see them. Um, yeah. They're different, yeah, yeah. but they're not the same. So, yeah, anyway, moving on. Yeah. She's not a very cool person. Um, it's no wonder she's a red. She fits right in with the un unlikables. Um, yeah, I was going to say, but I don't want to be presumptuous. But <laughs> Well, she is red. We stated that earlier. Um, anyway. But yeah, so then Leandrin is like, you know, have you heard of the Black Aja? And they're like, no, no, it's just a rumor. Like, no, I swear I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And, you know, the Black Aja is the Dark One Aja, if you will. Um, and, you know, Leandra's just like, oh, well, the Black Aja is real. And it's within Faldara's walls. And he's like, anyone you see in the halls that you pass by that is a nice die, they could be a Black Sister. And then she swears on it, which tells you something else about her. Um, it's like, I can't tell you who they are, but my protection you can have if you walk in the light and obey me. And he's like, oh, oh, I will. Please protect my brother and me and my ladies. 
And he's like, hey, I'm not making promises, but whoever deserves the protection will get the protection. You concern yourself with yourself and do what I commanded you to do, and the whole world's fate rides on this. And he's like, well, don't you think that's an understatement? Um, but, yeah, Amelisa's just like, yes, 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 I'll do it. And she basically tells her to rise up and basically is like, hey, I'm, you know, if you fail me, the dark friend in the dungeons will be your envy. And then basically, the look that Amelisa gives her is like, yeah, failure is not going to happen for her not trying. So the door is shut behind her as she leaves, and, you know, she felt this prickling sensation. And she looks up into the halls and is looking it's empty. She's like, well, you know. You know, fancies are taking me, nothing more. So, what it appears to be is that someone tried to use the one power to either A, listen in, or B, touch her in a way to find out something. It's a very, very, very tricky thing to figure out. She's like freaking out because, you know, it's nighttime and she doesn't know what's going on. Or at least that's what she thinks. But then we flash to the fourth POV for this chapter and the final part. And now we're in the pitch black dungeons and we don't know what time of day it is because it's always pitch black down here. And a lantern, you know, was the only source of light you'd ever actually get down here. Then put on Fane is sitting on the edge of his cot looking in the dark with a smile on his face. Like, you can hear other two prisoners, you know, grumbling in their sleep, muttering about nightmares or whatever. But Padan Fane's just waiting and waiting and waiting, and he's waited for way too long, but not much longer. And the door to the outer guard room opens up, and, you know, there's a bunch of a flood of light kind of pushes in a little bit through showing a figure in the doorway. Fane stands up, he's like, you, not who I expected. He stretched out with a casualness he did not feel. Blood is racing in his veins and he's like, ooh, I could leap over the key. could leap over the moon if he wanted to. And he's like, well, surprises for everyone, eh? Well, come on. Night's getting old and I want some sleep sometime. So the lamp comes in and Fane raises his hand, grinning at something. Can't see it yet, but he feels it and he looks up back to the dungeon's stone ceiling and he's like, it's isn't over yet. The battle's never over. And that's what you call a creepy ending to a chapter. Yeah. So what do you think, so, good sir? Okay. Uh, I guess starting canonically. Uh, actually, like this kind of turned out to be like a kind of weirdly political chapter. Because, <laughs> like, he... Well, politics is a part of this whole series. Just after yeah, that. it is. It is, but like um, the position that uh, the Amalin seat is taking, especially with like Moraine, as in regards to their plans, because in most sort of kind of fantasy series and sort of like most stories, like 
her sort of like kind of heart set rules and all that would sort of just kind of be washed away because you know we're dealing with the main characters here they can do whatever they want but that there's still at least a standard held to moraine and being like hey mate what what are you doing just you're just mucking all up and just all that sort of stuff and sort of again they're just being like moraine still has to play to some rules yeah uh, she's even, even she's still but yeah she's still beholden even though that she is yeah good friends with you know the like the very tippy top she she is just she still has to like play to their well, rules think and of it, think of it like a feudal feudal lord or something where the armorlin yeah, has you, power because this everything is, is based on like you know the, the the fact that you still hold true to your better yeah and then you have a kind of almost kind of opposite position if that makes sense with Bornhold, because he is still he's holding true to his like morals and sort of the fact that like he's still moralistically a good person even though that like he's having to like defer leadership to an abhorrent monster from at least my perspective like i do not question i do not trust a questioner as far as i could throw him or anything like that just like these these are monsters as far as i'm concerned you know pe people that like have to torture other people i don't have i don't want anything to do with but he's still having to like defer leadership to them even though that like moralistically bornhold should be the leader in this like he is still he's a more well, capable the leader well, he, is pedro nile and that's who he i know to. i know but like in so. in the situation where in <laughs> the situation the top, where but... he's having in this situation he's having to like defer leadership to the questioner and yeah. like yeah. as far as if i was like you know the like the benevolent individual in the situation i would sort of be like no board hold leads but again, that's the that's the sort of kind of fun aspect, fun political aspect of the children of light, and then you actually have in like the next section, uh, what yeah. everyone actually fears, which is AI Sedai using our powers to Further like their their, their, like to the like the worst possible extent. Which is yeah, again to like further their own personal in like interests and stuff. Anytime. Which I'm kind of surprised it actually kind of took this. Well, I understand like why it took this, this late, uh, to sort of like demonstrate that because you could you couldn't really have like Moraine do this earlier in the book, like sorry, in, uh, in like the previous book, because then like all good credit, sorry, all goodwill yeah, all good that she she had she had courage with the reader would just be instantly evaporated. So yeah. yeah, I understand it. Well, it's and like then... it's like also it's and and I think this holds true to like anything. It's anytime you push a personal agenda at the cost of someone else, it's a bad gig. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's always and... going to be bad no matter what the situation is, no matter who's affected by it. It's it's a bad gig because someone's getting the short end of the stick. And yeah. in this case, it seems to be uh, more unpleasant than just the short end of the stick. Yeah. And finally, I'm about to take the take of the century, but uh, Padden Fane is creepy. That's not you, really the you, take of the century, but yeah. <laughs> you, you heard it, you heard it here first, folks. Padden Fane is creepy. I mean, I think we knew that when they first caught him, but yeah. 
no, no, the, he is definitely creepy here. It's like, uh, 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 no, just, uh, stay away from me. Yeah. And uh, those are pretty much my thoughts for this chapter. Um, Short and sweet. I, I like it. really don't actually have any real predictions right now. Like, it'll get are harder kind of... and harder to do predictions when they add more and more characters. And they have more and more. Well, the thing is, it, well, the thing is, it like this is kind of, like this is kind of the part of the game where like you can't actually predict moves up until like the point someone actually does something first yeah so you kind of have to follow the flow really it's more of like what do you think is going to happen with the story now do you think moraine's going to successfully get rand matt and perrin to go to ilion do you think i'm you know, i'm certain that? she's going to like be able to coerce them in some fashion but i i've i have very little else to give so uh shall okay. we draw this to a close then yeah we could do that um, would you like to chill, or would you like me to chill? Uh, if, if, I, I guess you can chill, because you can at least do it in a speedy <laughs> fashion. Speedy Gonzalez! Anyway, um, yeah, thanks everybody for hanging out with us. Uh, I know it's probably a bit of a longer one, since it was a bit of a longer chapter, and it had a lot of content from different viewpoints. So thanks for sticking with us. Um, we hope you'll join us again for the next episode, and all episodes in the future. Um, but if you would like to reach out and hang out with us in some shape or form or just talk to us or even give us questions or something. Um, you can reach us directly through our email, which is talesofaredarm at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at talesofaredarm. Um, you can DM us there directly or just comment on something posted that if you think you like. So feel free to follow us there. And if you don't mind sharing us with other people and see if we can get more people involved we can have more fun you know talk about the conversations that we have um you can also reach us on facebook just tales of red arm and do the same thing as twitter where you can direct message us or just chat in there and bring more people in It'd be great if you could share it we definitely appreciate it um also we recently have come up with a discord server for those of you who are familiar with discord and want to uh, participate in the conversation there and perhaps have some more one-on-one -on -one or even some possible group events where we can sit down and chat with you guys directly in real time. Um, but all of these things to say that there's plenty of ways to get a hold of us and we would love to have you guys hang out with us. Um, so yeah, uh, hopefully you guys will decide to come back and visit us again in the future content and we'll see you then until then we drink all night and dance all day and on the girls we'll spend our pay and when we're done then we'll away to dance with jack of the shadows we'll toss the dice however they fall and struggle the girls be they short or tall and follow young matt wherever he goes to dance with jack of the shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And some of the girls be they short or tall Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hug the maids it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack of the Shadows yeah. 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 Yeah.